Welcome to Bar Fights with attorney and advocate Sarah Klein. Taking on issues that matter and advocating for legal, cultural, and political change everywhere in order to protect children and vulnerable adults. Joining the conversation are survivors, advocates, lawyers, media personalities, athletes, celebrities, authors, wellness aficionados, and many more. Because bringing real justice takes a team of experts who care. Now, leading the fight is your host, Sarah Klein. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Bar Fights. Today is really special for me because it is very personal. And before we started recording this podcast today, I already cried (laughs) because this brings me back to a time in my life that was very catalytic, but also very difficult. And I think, you know, one of the last times I saw this guest was in a courtroom in Lansing, Michigan in January of 2018 at the sentencing of former USA Gymnastics team doctor and serial pedophile Larry Nassar. So my guest today is a fancy schmancy doctor of clinical and forensic psychology And she is also my sister survivor, and I am so proud to call her that and so proud to have her on today's show. Dr. Danielle Moore, welcome to Bar Fights. Thank you. I'm glad to be here and talking with you again. It's been nice. Oh my gosh, it's so good to see you. And the reason I reached out was because Danny, as I call her, the rest of you have to call her doctor, but I can call her Danny. (laughs) Um, She recently published an op-ed in thecut.com and it is remarkably poignant, beautiful, very emotional. And it talks about what it's like to be here Four years later, we were just saying it feels like four decades ago, and then it also feels like four days ago that we stood in front of Larry Nassar and delivered our victim impact statement. So on the four-year anniversary, Danny published this beautiful op-ed that I recommend you all read. But Danny, take us to this place of four years later. What what was your mindset or your sort of emotional state that inspired you to write this op-ed and sort of where where are you at? Well, I have to give Abigail Pesta um, some credit with writing it because I told her my story a while back and then we decided to finally publish this, but it was, you know, it took a while. <laughs> um, my mindset was just to continue to tell my story, you know, we only had a few minutes to give our impact statement, even though the judge allowed us as much time as we needed. Um, So you see all of those individuals coming up and their sadness and depression and also their strength and courage, but you don't have that backstory about kind of how they got there and what it was like. So and 
when things were quote unquote over, um, I got a lot of those comments about, okay, his sentence is over. You can move on. Like, no, this, no, that's not how it works. (laughs) We just got started, right? Yeah. I mean, this is probably the worst part because now you're not looking forward to something else. Not like I was looking forward to it, but you're so focused on what's next that you don't necessarily start the healing process. So for me, it really started at that point as well over again. Yeah. I think that's so important to note. Like I've heard people say to me, like that must've been such great closure to give your victim impact statement. And it was like closure. That was the beginning of the healing journey, right? Like that ripped the bandaid right off. And in some respects left us better off, but in other respects left us raw and vulnerable and just sort of spinning and spiraling. And it was the beginning of um, you know, feeling like shit for a while. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, what brought you to that point of, okay, you know, we have this chance to give a victim impact statement, which many survivors don't ever even get. But in our case, we got this opportunity and we all had a choice to make before we knew what this was going to be. There were no cameras around at that point, you know, Hey, Danny, do you want to give a victim impact statement? We didn't know this was going to be national news at the time. How did you come to that decision? Cause I think a lot of people think, you know, 500 or 200 or however many people it ended up being signed up right at the beginning, it was like 30 or 40 who of us who had signed up. And we were saying both of us were on that very first day before we knew that this Nassar story was going to be anything bigger than a Lansing, Michigan story. How did you decide to opt into that? I I guess I just had a feeling, Um, you know, the month before was the holidays and I was quite depressed and kind of spiraling and I didn't even want to go back to Michigan for the holidays because I didn't even want to be in the area because I was living in Chicago at the time. So my emotional state was all over the place, but I had this feeling that I needed to do this for myself. And some friends and family members were even like, why are you putting yourself through this? Like, you can always make a video or just submit a statement. You don't actually have to go, but I just needed to face him and, you know, tell him off in my own way, basically. Yeah. Um, I needed, I guess, to show him that he didn't break me even though I felt broken at some points during this whole process. So it was, it was just really personal for me. It's kind of hard to put into words, but it was more of this, this drive to do it versus like a conscious thought process of I need to do this because. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and I was sitting in the courtroom as you delivered your statement and I will absolutely never forget your last line. And I choke up even just thinking about it, but you said, um, I will no longer be known as a number. I will be known as Dr. Daniel Moore. And I was just, I cried at the time. I cry now. I cry every time I think about that, but that was one of those moments where I'm like, boom, (laughs) yes, girl. Yes. Mic drop. Wish I could have done that in court. Like, yes. Yeah. I mean, it was just such a perfect example of, you know, somebody really 
owning how far they've come and taking their power back. Um, I'm always so touched by that. So the title of this op-ed, I think, is just fascinating. Um, it says, I survived Larry Nasser On this anniversary, anniversary of his sentencing, Danielle Moore reflects on the moment of truth that hit her and all the moments since then. And it opens by saying, I was a therapist for sex offenders in an Illinois prison when I realized I had been the childhood victim of a sex offender myself. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Yeah. I didn't realize that. I, I mean, I, I know you, I didn't realize that's what you were doing when this truth hit you about Nasser back in 2016. Tell us about that. Well, I only lasted a few months at that job because it became overwhelming. I had to resign um, just for my own mental health and, you know, some legalities issues that could have come up, but didn't. Um, It was kind of an out-of-body type experience. I felt so guilty and so ashamed and just so confused and like why am I working with these individuals like what is my like am I like that broken that I'm like attracted in a way to these individuals like what is what is going on so I was just questioning everything um but kind of like through processing it and through therapy of course you know I realized that you know working in a prison you know who's dangerous and not dangerous. Like it's mm-hmm. very obvious. So you know who that threat is and who to stay away from or, and you also have a different power dynamic in there. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot more power. So it was, that was a little interesting to kind of realize as well. Um, but at the time I went completely numb. And like I said, in the article, um, I would usually talk to my mom on the way home and she's like, oh my gosh, guess what happened? Nasser was arrested for all these things. And I'm like, oh, that doesn't surprise me whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And I, at that point I was just like, oh my gosh. Like, just, wait, why doesn't that shock me at all? Yeah. I just came flooding back and all those like defenses and those walls that I built up for years in an instant came crashing down. Like it was so instantaneous that I was just in shock. So it, it took a while to actually feel anything because I was just so in shock and so numb. Um, and that's why I lasted at that job for as long as I actually did. So. Yeah. Like, how do you go back the next day and say like, oh, I'm here to sort of help you, right? Yeah. Or, or counsel you counsel. and you're a fucking pedophile. And I just yeah. had this realization, you know, that I am a survivor of a pedophile, you know, how do you keep going? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the similar experience to you where I got a text message from one of my former teammates mm-hmm. with that article. And I didn't even have to open it and read the details where I was like, well, yeah, you know, but I had teammates who flew from across the country to go console Larry, where their reaction and some of them ended up being, you know, coming forward as victims later, but their first reaction was, was like, no, he would net. Right. So like, 
different people, I think psychologically have different abilities in those moments of going to different places and how, how far, you know, are you going to acknowledge things and whatever, but I, it, it resonated with me the way you already knew deep, 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 deep down. It was not conscious, but when you saw it in black and white, you're like, well, yeah, mm-hmm. duh. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's crazy. Um, how, and you know better than I, how psychology works and a lot of our defense mechanisms are there to protect us, but sometimes they protect us too much, um, from the truth and from the reality of things. But as we both know, our bodies don't lie. So tell me about some of the physical manifestations for you. I know you've had quite a run of it, but what have some of the physical manifestations of childhood trauma looked like in your life? So I would say originally, like, um, it was a few days after I had, well, I think I talked with, um, an attorney and the police pretty quick after the article before I told anybody, cause I wanted to know like my rights, mm-hmm. um, before I moved forward. Um, but about two weeks after the Indie Star article actually came out, I developed a heart condition. Like I didn't feel like mentally that bad because I was so numb, but the stress on my body was so much that I started to have heart arrhythmias. Mm. Um, So I had to be rushed to the hospital a few times and my heart rate at like rest sitting down was at like a 180. Mm. Your heart like feels like it's been a pound out of your chest. Um, So that alone, when you don't have control over your body mimics that sexual abuse when you still don't have control of your body. Mm -hmm. So it's just compounding that trauma and that lack of control. But at the same time, I was able to focus on the health issues and not on the feelings because I had to like, cause that, you know, takes your heart's not working. You got to get that in control before anything else happens. Um, but that happened for years throughout this process. Um, every time there was like a new article or I remember, um, the attorney called me once and needed something from me. And as I opened like my filing cabinet to get it, I instantly went into this arrhythmia and I had to go to the hospital and they had to give me medicine to stop my heart multiple times, which hurts a lot. Mm. So, you know, you still have that. I mean, that alone was incredibly traumatic and I can feel that sensation so there is a lot more to it physically for me um, than I think people actually really know because um, it was, I had two heart ablations. So they had to go in and burn some nerves in my heart two different times. So oh. it's surgery. Um, so yeah, for me, I hold my stress in my body and that's just yeah. one example of how it manifests and it, yep. it just evidence how horrible stress can be for your body. Yeah. Yeah. And I think all survivors listening of any kind of trauma should, should really listen up and really start to think about and maybe make some connections between Mm -hmm. the body and the psyche. You know, for me, it came, 
in the form of stage four endometriosis and, you know, those kinds of issues, um, the autoimmune diseases, that kind of stuff for others of our sister survivors, it's come in the form of, you know, headaches or muscle pain or, you know, all sorts of autoimmune stuff. So, you know, I think this is a big one. Stomach stuff, Crohn's, diverticulitis. I can never <laughs> say that. Right? But yeah, I mean, in, in, you know, I think sometimes we miss that and, um, or we choose not to psychologically deal with our trauma and we, we don't tie it to what's going on with our bodies. And so our bodies continue to suffer and, and we never get anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, what, message would you give survivors? I get asked a lot about, you know, giving a victim impact statement or getting closure or, I mean, what, what looking back, have you sort of learned from all of this? Cause we went to war, you know, in a way that nobody ever should ever have to. And I think the public knows about one, one millionth of what this has been like. And again, I always preface that with, we know we got access to the courts and we know in many respects, we got the red carpet treatment um, in so far as being survivors with a platform and having, you know, a pedophile who pled guilty and is behind bars, but what just sort of everything we've been through looking back, what, what are some of those big life lessons that, that you would offer my listeners who might not be at the point that we're at today? Yeah. Um, you're like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, think I think what I've seen, um, cause a lot of people have come up to me and it's like, oh, you're so courageous for, you know, giving your statements. I'm like, I don't feel like that at all. Um, but I also had gotten feedback from people who didn't um, give impact statements or wanted to stay anonymous, who kind of feel bad about it now. But I'm like, no, this is, this is your own way of healing. If you are not comfortable going into court, then don't do it. Mm-hmm. Going into court itself is traumatic. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a time to be selfish a little bit and figure out like what you need to do and rely on the attorneys to prosecute. Um, You can give statements in other ways. And these individuals I had spoken with did, but they didn't have to come in and like face their abuser. Cause that's, that's just traumatic. Mm -hmm. Um, You're not prepared and you can't really be prepared for that. So I would say, you know, do what's best for you mm-hmm. and realize that even though you see some of these, you know, us or women coming forward um, and labeled as courageous, you're still courageous for what you're going through. Yeah. Courageous for like, keep moving forward and keep like prosecuting or doing what you can from, you know, behind the scenes. Cause that's perfectly fine. And I think people lose sight of that a little bit. Um, yep. Because you can still do things and people don't have to know your name. Yeah. So still make an impact. Yep. So that's that's one thing. And the other, I guess, part in general, throughout this process, like 
you know, you're labeled as a victim or a survivor, and you're so focused on this one aspect of your life. Um, but try not to lose sight of who you are, like at your core. And that's impossible to do at times. <laughs> but, you know, eventually, like I get, you know, started reading, like for fun again, or painting for fun, or just enjoying playing with my dog. Like before, none of that stuff, and partly depression, um, I could really do those things. But, you know, kind of getting back to the core of who you are, if you like to volunteer, or if you like to, you know, be with family, you know, continue to do those things. Again, it's very difficult at some points, but, you know, when you feel up to it and when you can do those things and don't feel bad about doing them if you're like taking time away from work or whatnot, because you need that at that point. So I love that. I love that so much. And, you know, one other way that I think we've been so spoiled is that we were in it together and we had this incredible army of survivors mm-hmm. and this sisterhood um, that a lot of people don't get. And a lot of times they're in it alone. Um, talk to me a little bit about, you know, our our story was sort of one of those tipping point stories. I won't take full credit for, for us being the impetus of the Me Too movement, but we were one of them. Yeah. Right. And, and so now people are starting to, to come forward and hold abusers accountable. Um, talk to me a little bit about what you've seen in terms of the survivor landscape at large. So maybe if you're just one victim of one perpetrator, talk about our community of survivors. I think it might be slightly easier for people to come forward, or at least there's more people for like one individual to reach out to or more resources that they know about. And that's important. Um, I think it's, don't know really how to say this. Um, It has definitely changed the landscape of a lot of things, especially within gymnastics. Yeah. Um, But there's, there's, as you know, there's still a long way to go, but Mm -hmm. I think if we're, able to help you know just a few people and I know we've helped a lot more people than a few then you know we've been a really good part of that me too movement um it's it's taxing on the person Mm -hmm. especially when you're like an individual it's but if you're able to at least relate to somebody's story in some form or fashion that helps make that individual not feel as alone or isolated or like feel like they're not going crazy because it's so isolating that you're like, what? Like, am I the only person that feels like this? Like, no, you're not. This is incredibly normal to have anger and sadness and depression, all sorts of things. There's no like right or wrong way. Yeah, totally. So what would you say to that person sitting at home right now going through this by themselves? I mean, you're not alone. Mm -hmm. It may feel like it. But that's, hopefully you have, you know, one or two people that you can really rely on for that support or getting therapy or getting group therapy or joining some online, you know, organizations or groups, um, because that's going to be a crutch. So I would say you don't have to go through this alone. Um, There are resources. 
So it's just a matter of finding what's right for you. And I always tell people that if like you don't find a therapist that you click with, get a different one. Mm-hmm. Like you're telling people your most like personal like secrets. You want to be able to like trust this person and click with them. Um, Cause a lot of people try it once and they're like, oh, this really isn't for me. I'm like, oh, try a different therapist. Yes. That's what I would tell. Exactly. I love that. You are not alone. And, and, you know, again, we were lucky because we literally weren't alone. Um, We were sitting next to each other and walking up there one after the next, but for people who do not have that, we have become a community of survivors globally. We are all in it together. And whether you're a survivor of sexual abuse or, you know, cult stuff or domestic violence or whatever, trauma is trauma is trauma. And we're talking about it now. And we're not, you know, not saying it as a badge of honor, but you know, a badge of survivorship. I survived this. So maybe you can too. And I felt those things and what you said, Danny, that's normal. You know, my body went through this. So the fact that your body is having this stress response, isn't so crazy. Right. Um, I love that. So four years later, I mean, (laughs) four years later, in terms of the healing journey, I mean, can you relate to a couple steps forward, a couple steps back? When does it start to get easier? Um, I mean, it does over time, but you're always going to have those triggers or like for me, when something happens in the news with the case, whether it's related to um, other coaches or other organizations, you know, that can put you back quite a bit. Mm-hmm. but you really can't judge yourself for that. So it's just something that's going to happen. And, you know, tomorrow will be a little better. It won't yep. be as well. So yep. it's just, it's, it's a roller coaster. Sometimes you're, you know, you have a good few weeks or months and then you are triggered by something or you're just like are remembering for some reason and it sets you back. But over time it does get better. Um, also with like the access to resources, you know, that will help somebody kind of navigate those down times and those tough times. So, you know, it's, it's healing happens. It's just in your own way and at your own schedule, really. So sometimes it takes people, you know, years to make any progress, but they do. And that's the important part. Like they do make that progress and you can't measure yourself next to another survivor in terms of that healing journey. I love that healing happens. And I feel the same way that we are standing in a different place than we were four years ago. Um, and, and I think all in all, it's a better place it's a more healed place, but as you said, it's a journey and we can live it with grace for ourselves and for our pace and for our process, Mm -hmm. but joy is possible. And I see you looking beautiful and healthy and happy (laughs) and 
you know, I can tell even just by looking at you, you're, you're in a lighter place than when I last saw you. And I think something I said in my victim impact statement was we can live in spite of this, we can live in spite of what happened to us. And I think that's what you're doing so beautifully. Dr. <laughs> Danielle Moore, mic drop. <laughs> Danny Moore, I'm proud of you. I'm Thank proud you. to know you. I'm proud to call you my sister. I am proud to call you doctor and keep checking back with us. Of course. And letting us letting us watch your story unfold. And I appreciate your vulnerability. And I appreciate you being the voice and, and the public voice of the four year anniversary. I was glad somebody did it and you did it so beautifully. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that. And thank you for awesome. continuing to talk about this. Good stuff. My sister, Danny Moore, you guys will see you next week on Bar Fights. Thank you for listening to Bar Fights with attorney Sarah Klein, taking on issues that matter. Please check out our website at barfightspodcast.com, Instagram at barfightspodcast, or Twitter at barfights underscore pod for the latest show updates and archives.